Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Rambam Mishneh Torah, Hilchis Bikurim, the laws of the first fruits, which also include the detailed laws of setting aside the challah, the first dough, giving it to the Kohen, and the Rambam earlier explained many, many detailed laws as to how this works. Pedic Shmini, chapter 8. What if somebody decides, he's going to set aside his challah gift while it's still in the raw state of flour, before it gets mixed with the water? Now we learn that the obligation does not really kick in until the flour is mixed with water. He decided to be different. He's going to allocate it while it's still in a state of flour. Says the Rambam, ain't a chala. It's not considered chala. The gazel biyad kayin. And the Kohen should return it. And the expression here is that if the Kohen refuses to return it, he's stealing it. Because it's not chala until it becomes dough. Flour without water is not dough. Furthermore, because it's not chala, ushar ho'iso, chayebes bechala, and the rest of the dough needs to be, chala needs to be taken from it. And that flour, which was set aside for chala, if it has the minimum size of the omer, and he makes a dough out of it, then he sets aside challah from it. The minimum size of Omer, the definition of Omer according to the Kahat Chumash chart, 2.61 quarts or 2.475 liters. Again, 2.61 quarts. If that's the volume of the dough, and he makes it a dough, he must set aside challah, Kishar kol kemach chulin. Just as the law applies when somebody makes dough from any other ordinary everyday flour. Base two, a mosayim afrishin At what point in time should one actually set aside the challah? When does the obligation kick in? A mosayim afrishin When do we set aside the challah? Kishayit and When he places the water. And the flour becomes mixed with water. He then sets aside the challah from the beginnings of that dough which was needed. As it says, The beginnings of your dough. Who provided that? When does this apply, provided that there is no measure of unmixed flour, of raw flour, that did not become intermingled with water the size of an omer. But if there is, then it was set aside prematurely. What if he said, this piece of dough, which I am now setting aside as challah, is challah al-ho'isa for the dough. 
Bial Haser and for the yeast. Malakemach and for the flour Shinishtaya that's left over. <coughs> so he actually verbalizes and states that this dough that he's now setting aside incorporates everything that is mixed and not mixed. And when it will all be one big dough. At that point in time, that piece of dough in his hand will become sanctified as challah. Remember, we learned earlier, challah is holy food, like truma. Then, even though the entire dough had not yet been mixed, but he made this clear statement that that which I'm doing now will kick in. When everything is mixed, technically that works as well. Which, as the commentaries point out, also is a statement which is also part of the first law. That if somebody has only flour and he sets it aside, if he made a condition that when this flour is mixed with water, it will be challah, then there are those who say that could work as long as he specifies that it will happen and it will kick in later. Gimel 3. What if he set aside the piece of dough until he needed everything? And then he mixed it. And then he set aside. That's no problem. Now, what happens if he doesn't set aside the gift to the coin while it's still dough? He baked everything. Can he set aside the challah from the baked goods? There's no reason why he can't set aside challah from the bread. As was already explained in great detail in chapter 6, Halacha 16. Dalid Amosaitis Chayiv Hoisa Bechala. At what point in time does the obligation kick in to have to take Chala from the dough? So here he gives a very clear definition. If he's using wheat, Misheti Galgel Bechitim Biyasarev Akemach Bamayim. When the wheat flour was rolled into a ball, like a ball of dough, and all of the flour becomes mixed with the water. That's if it's wheat. Or, shetitamteim. Bisairim, what if it's not wheat, it's barley. Barley has somewhat of a different makeup when it becomes one single mass. It all becomes one block and one body. Not necessarily round in the case of barley. So that is when it kicks in. (coughs) With the wheat, when it becomes round, a round ball. With the barley, when it becomes a mass or a block. And until that point in time, one may snack from the dough until it becomes a ball of dough. If it's wheat, 
or a block of dough if it's barley. Now, what if it's not wheat and it's not barley? What if it is vahakusmin, spelt? Kechitim is like wheat and it has to become a ball. Vishibailis shuel vahashifain and oat and rye, as he translates it here. Kisaidim have the makeup like barley and they have to become one block. Hey, nizgalgala bechitim. What if it became a ball of dough in wheat and related grains? What if it became a block of dough in barley and related grains? Then once it reaches that point, if somebody eats from it before the challah gift was set aside, chayov misa. This is actually called partaking from tevel. Just as in the case of Truma, it's a very serious transgression. And there is a heavenly death penalty imposed. This is called Tevel. It's called produce from which the Kohen's gift was not set aside. If it was a biblical obligation, which means it was in Israel, and so on. If anybody eats from it and there are witnesses who see him and warn him, <coughs> there could also be the lashes that could kick in under certain circumstances. This law would apply just as the Tevel law with regular Truma applies. We learned that in great detail earlier in the laws of Truma. However, what if it was only a rabbinic obligation of Chala? And the only possible ashes that could ever take place for a rabbinic transgression is a rabbinic rebellious type lashes we learned about many times earlier. Vav 6, to complicate the plot, Esau, a dough, Shenidmo, which becomes mixed with flour, that is Truma, that's called Dimua. Nidmo, you have regular dough mixed with truma dough. Ah, is galgal until it's rolled into a ball, ptura, it's exempt. As we talked earlier, mishit is galgal, once it's rolled into a ball, chayebis, it's obligated. So also if somebody sanctifies his dough, or somebody declares it public, ownerless, kedim shin is before it's rolled into a ball, and then he redeemed it, and he acquired it, and then he made it into a ball. Or he sanctified it, or he declared it. After it was rolled into a ball, and he redeemed it, he's obligated in challah, because the obligation kicks in, and there's no reason why he should not. But if he sanctified it, before he rolled it into a ball, so therefore, the halacha dictates that the obligation did not yet kick in. And then, it was only rolled into a ball when it was owned by the Beis Hamikdash. And then, only later, he redeems it. Petura is exempt. Because at the moment, when the obligation kicks in, it was exempt. And similarly speaking, these are obligations 
which only pertain to a Jew. These obligations do not pertain to a non-Jew. But, what if a Gentile? He appointed a Jew to need a dough for him. And he gave it to him as a gift. If he did it before, it was rolled into a ball, which we said is that kicking point. He's obligated. But if he did that after it was rolled into a ball, Petura, He's, a, he's exempt because then it belongs not to the Jew, but to the non-Jew. Along the same lines, Ger Shenizgayer, what if a convert converts? And he has dough, Nizgayer, so the question is now he converted. Now he's 100% Jewish. We say, Chuka Achas Yelachem. For a Jew and a convert, the law is the same. If it was rolled into a ball of dough before he converted, Petura, then he's exempt. Because at the time of conversion, there's no obligation that kicks in. Vimishin is Gayer, but if he rolled it into a ball after conversion, Chayebis, he's obligated. Vimsopik, if you want, is unsure. Chayebis Bechala, the obligation of Chala should kick in. In doubt, excuse me. Lefi <coughs> because shehu avain misa because it is a life and death commandment. <coughs> we said earlier there is the heavenly death penalty. Vizar shachal. However, what if a non-Kohen consumed this doubtful dough? He does not have to add the one-fifth when he makes restitution, since there's a doubt concerning the matter. So he has to make restitution, but not give the fifth. Yud, we know that the dough of Chala must be maintained in a state of ritual purity. We're talking about back then when ritual purity was observed during the Beis Hamikdash time. If there was a dough, that doubt kicked in before it became a ball of dough. Yasena betuma, he should make it in a state of impurity. How could he take dough and make it in a state of impurity? The answer is lefisha muter latame chulun shabaret yisrael, because before the holiness kicks in, why not? You're allowed to take regular dough and, and, and make it impure. It's not holy. Now, what do you do with the chala? So the law of impure chala. Mirrors the law of impure truma. The tisarev chalosa, the Kohen uses it for fuel. It is consumed, you know, the Kohen needs fuel too. So just as the truma acts as fuel for the Kohen, the chala does as well. Neiladla achar shinizgalgala, sophic tuma, once it was rolled into a ball of dough, if there came about a doubt of impurity, 
where if one was certain, it would clearly defile this biblically. Then the solution is he completes creating this dough in a state of purity. Anything where if it certainly would have defiled regular dough, our sages decreed, when there's a doubt, in a case of regular everyday dough, which are tevel for chala, which means from which chala has not been set aside, the decree is that they should not defile the tevel because they are tevel for chala, and then the chala is dependent it might be impure and it might be pure. It can't be eaten because it's not pure. It can't be used as, as fuel because it might be pure. So in that case, it just sits there. A person should not process a dough in a state of defilement to begin with. But a person must take care in, to begin with to re- retain Ritual purity during the time that people did that. Eliezer, he should be meticulously careful. and he should make an effort. The attire that he should be pure. Both who, both the person, Bekelev, and his vessels, and his utensils. Kidei, in order that Lahapish Chala, should be in a position to set aside pure, undefiled Chala. What if there is between him and the water more than four mils? I guess he means the water of mikveh, where he can go purify himself. In that case, more than four mils is not obligated to go, and he can make it in a state of impurity and set aside the chala in a state of impurity. Okay? A meal... According to the Kahat Chumash chart, is 0.6 of a mile. I guess uh, pretty close to a kilometer. Point, what's a kilometer? Six. 0.6 of a mile is a meal. Okay. Very good. So if it's more than four meals, he's not obligated to do that. Now, mirroring the laws we had with Truma, we now have a similar problem with Chala. We're not allowed to make the Chala of someone who is unlearned in a state of purity. But we can make everyday dough in a state of purity. But if we make the chala in a state of purity, then we're going to put it in the hands of the unlearned man, and he's going to defile it. So we're contributing to his sin. Ketzad, spell it out. A chaver, which means a learned person, may mix the dough and set aside the chala portion that it's important that the type of vessel he puts it in is not the type of vessel that can cause impurity 
to come upon it, there are certain materials, such as metal, that become impure. But there are certain materials, such as stone or clay, that do not become impure. When the unlearned person comes, he takes both. And he says to him, listen, my friend, be very careful that you not touch the challah. We have to assume the unlearned man is in a state of impurity. But it's in the type of vessel that won't carry it over. So we warn the guy and we tell him a myth. We tell him something that's not 100% correct. We say, if you'll touch this, it will be restored to a state of tevel, where you'll have to do it again, take the challah again. But that's not true. The worst that will happen is it'll become impure. Why do we allow misrepresentation? Because the learned guy who makes dough for a livelihood, he needs to make a living too. And therefore there was a liberty taken in order for this man to be able to make a living. Yud Gimel, along the same lines, Eishas Chover, the wife of a learned person, Merakedes Ubeireres Imeishas Amoretz, may sift and strain flour together with the wife of an unlearned person. Aval, but, again, we're concerned with the wife of an unlearned person that she does not maintain ritual purity. That's before we add water to the dough because it doesn't become impure because it was never exposed to water. It has to be muksher. It has to be readied to receive impurity. As we will learn in great detail in the laws of purity and impurity. But when she puts water in, then it is already fit to become impure. The betuma. So now the wife of the learned man is helping the wife of the unlearned man make her dough in a state of impurity. So that's contributing to that transgression. And similarly speaking, what about a baker? The baker doesn't know from the laws of purity. He's a regular guy. So we're concerned, working with this baker who doesn't maintain ritual purity. Again, back then, when some did and some didn't. In that case, one should not knead or work dough together with him. Why? Because the rule of thumb is that being that it's a time when people have to go to the Beis HaMikdash, and people who don't know will bring about a serious violation going into the Beis HaMikdash with something that's impure, or making challah impure, we can't contribute to the transgression of those who do transgressions. We can't help them transgress. The same Torah was given to the scholar as to the unlearned person. However, we may transport bread along with an unlearned person to the bakery. That's a different rule, and that is permissible. 
What if it's not Israel proper, but it's Syria, which only has a rabbinic application because it's so close to Israel? And the unlearned baker says, Don't worry, I set aside Chala. Because if he didn't, then rabbinically we have a problem. Mean that it's only a rabbinic law, we don't have to do it again. From a state of doubt, just as we learned earlier that in Israel, the Jew is not suspected with regard to truma because of the seriousness of the transgression, so also the Jew is not suspected in Syria on Chala, even though it's only a rabbinic law. Tesvav 15, the closing paragraph. When a person purchases bread from a baker in the diaspora, he must set aside challah just in case the baker didn't do it. We're talking about a baker who's not learned, even though he says, I separated challah, but we have to separate it. Nowadays, part of the job of a mashgiach in a bakery is to make sure the challah is taken. But if somebody purchases from, uh, bread from an individual, certainly I'm a sort of if somebody takes hospitality from an unlearned individual, and the guy says, listen, I know what I'm doing, I took challah, being that he's not a professional, but he's an individual. Certainly if he's a host, we don't have to do it again, but we can trust him and take him at his word. Why? Because even in the case of Chala, an unlearned person is believed in Chutzloretz, in the diaspora. End of chapter 8.